0: You're listening to a Comics XF podcast.
1: I am vengeance. I am the night. I am Matt Lazowitz and welcome to this week's episode of Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast where each week my co host Will Nevin and I dig into three Batman stories, discuss them, and rank them on our big board, thus creating a giant list of Batman stories from best to worst. Will, how's it going? It's going pretty good, Matt. going pretty good.
0: So, we got some important issues that come up in our stories tonight. Uh, Sopranos reference, uh, which I, I I think I could take or leave. It wasn't terrible. But look, The most interesting thing uh, is we get a reference to pizza and Dewey and pineapple. So sausage and pineapple, which, you know what? Doesn't sound terribly bad, not terribly bad, but I want to ask you this. And maybe I've asked you this before. If so, you know,
1: we'll just talk about it again. What's your ideal pizza? Definitely have. I think we did on the episode when Abigail was on, because Mm. I remember a discussion But it's funny because Amber and I had what I think might have been one of my selections for that particular question this evening. This local pizzeria does this really good white pizza veggies. So it's, you know, broccoli, onions, diced tomato, uh, and a few other veggies, which is good. I like a traditional pie with tomato sauce, too. But I am old. And that for dinner guarantees heartburn. (laughs) a white pizza with only you know some diced tomatoes versus all that tomato sauce unless i i've pre-gamed it with a bunch of omeprazole that's the way to go because i'm old and i am feeling my age this week
0: no it's 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 something to be middle-aged isn't
1: it well the past two weeks have seen the 31st anniversary of the first episode of batman the animated series the 31st anniversary of the first appearance of Harley Quinn and the 30th anniversary of the series premiere of the X-Files. I've looked at all of this and I've been like, God, I'm old. So very old. Ah, yeah.
0: And no, Hey, obviously uh, by the time the good people listen to this, it will be 17 weeks from now, but you know, we just had uh, September 11th this week talking to my students. Most of them, not even born. Yeah, yeah, you if you could only see the face Matt is making. It's it's so pained. Yep. Oh 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 no 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 and I had one of them say literally, "Yeah, that's a thing for old people."
1: Oh. oh. Not too long ago. I might have also told this story and we'll get your pizza toppings in a moment. I was working with with some of the box office employees at the theater and they're all apprentices. So they're right out of college. This is sort of get your foot in the door at the theater kind of a job. And I was telling them something, you do this, and then you hit, you know, the floppy disk icon. The what? The save icon. Oh, okay. They did not know what a floppy disk was. They did not know what that was. And that's, that is fascinating to me. That when you think about things like that, or the pound sign that, whole generation now addresses the hashtag it just oh it i feel so old
0: i was uh poking around in our television station uh studio at work uh, a couple weeks ago and i found a gateway laptop didn't have a, a you know power adapter with it but i could tell from the sticker it was an xp laptop so it was like 15 pounds had both a disk drive and a floppy drive. And I'm like, man, I want to fire this sucker up. Oh, boy, I want to have all, you know, 256 megs of RAM. Oof, I want, I want to feel the power in this machine.
1: I love that. I love looking at stuff from the 90s where they have to explain what the internet is. I was thinking about this, again, listening to some podcast or another, and they were talking about someone who died in the 20 teens at the age of 104. And I just could not imagine what it must have been like to live from 1911 to 2015 and see the arc of history of that 100 years and the arc of te- the arc of technology for that 100 years.
0: From the Titanic to
1: Titanic. But yeah, your pizza toppings before we, we move on.
0: So I am a carnivorous basic uh
1: B word. I like
0: lots of meat, lots of cheese, not a lot of sauce. I'm not a big fan of sauce and you know what? Uh I'm happy with a thin crust, right? I don't need I don't need a thick crust. Uh I don't need the you know the mass market stuffed crust, right? It's it's a gimmick people, right? Don't get sucked in. I have never tried the uh the pizza casserole of the world but i'm not interested that just looks like an unappetizing gloop i know i'm not here for it
1: no i i agree not just because i'm old but we tried a different pizzeria over the weekend and they were it was a very sauce forward pizza and so we're like we're gonna just get the pizza we like tonight because it was like oh we ordered the pie and we ate like half of it and didn't even save the rest of the fridge. It so was like, were you going to eat this? No. Were you going to eat this? No. So I was like, all right, tonight we're going to get the pizza we know we like.
0: I uh, I had some people over uh, for the weekend to watch the Alabama-Texas game. And the less said about that the best, although I hope Corey is happy. That was for you, Corey. And they, they just brought over some Costco pizza. You know what? That's fucking just perfectly average and acceptable pizza for
1: cheap. It's pepperoni or it's cheese. You got two options. It ain't bad. I'd say that pizza is a difficult thing to fuck up, but I would be lying if I said that. the The quickest way to fuck it up for me
0: is just a floppy crust. Like if it's basically half baked and it's a mess. If I can't hold a slice in my hand and it's just like falling apart, I'm like, this is this is too much work. I'm not interested. And it- Again, you put a lot of veggies on it. I don't, I don't want that either.
1: There is a distinction between pizza that isn't for you and a fucked up pizza. Oh, that's very true. Because my veggie pie isn't for you. Your meat lovers isn't for me. Those are not in themselves bad pizzas. And I like a good sausage pie. I like that too. But I I tend towards veggie now. Just As long as it doesn't have peppers because allergies and they would kill me but that that's the other good thing about this particular pizzeria they do not put peppers on their veggie pie so that really yeah definitely which, allergic to, uh, to peppers that's hyperbolic i have what's considered a dietary sensitivity
0: mm-hmm. what it
1: basically means is, if i have peppers it's like i have food poisoning
0: ah yes garlic does the same thing to me so it doesn't just kill me totally fucking wrecks the gi
1: yeah yeah i'm just miserable for the next six to 12 hours yep and so i just avoid peppers like the plague and i've gotten more sensitive as i've gotten older and it's like again and now we're back to the beginning of i'm getting fucking old and i hate it but you've heard enough about our aging systems so let's let's talk about some batman huh
0: here's here's the deal right just die before you're 30 right i think that's that's the optimum time to go it's all downhill after 30. Eh, give me 35. (laughs) Another five
1: years. (laughs) There you go. Uh, But then we wouldn't be sharing all these wonderful comics with all of our loyal listeners. Oh, that's true. And speaking of comics, this week we're reading three stories featuring Batman's undercover alter ego, Matches Malone. Yay, Matches. Finding three... Very matches heavy stories. It was not as easy as I was hoping it would be. We got two that were very matches heavy and one that at least has some matches in it. And so we'll start with that one and then move on from there. Our first story of the night is Lock Up. This is Detective Comics, Volume 1, Numbers 697 to 699. The writer is Chuck Dixon with pencils by Graham Nolan, inks by Scott Hanna, colors by Gloria Vasquez, and Android Images. Letters by John Costanza and edited by Darren Vincenzo and Scott Peterson. The cover dates are June to July of 1996. Someone is taking criminals who've escaped justice off the streets. This new vigilante, Lockup, has his own private prison. And the Bat family is in a race against time to save one of their own from his not-so-tender mercies. Start off as we usually do with anything Chuck Dixon, Graham Nolan problematic creator watch both are noted right-wing whack jobs
0: and that's what makes this story so weird right they believe that everything lockup says this is their political and social and justice views
1: speaking through this bad guy and it's a weird weird story We're going to someday read a story from a little later in the run. I think it's in the 17s where Dixon does a Deathstroke and Gunhawk story. Gunhawk who's a sniper villain and Batman makes numerous anti-gun speeches in that story. And even if Dixon wasn't quite as hard right then as he is now, he was always very pro-Second Amendment. He, in interviews at this point in his career, the point that we are reading, when asked about his political views, because he has never been shy about being a conservative, said that he wrote the character. If the character didn't believe what he said, he still wrote the character. He wrote Batman the way Batman should be written. I think as many of us have probably seen with our relatives, the older they get, the harder and more entrenched in their beliefs they get.
0: Mm, Ain't that the truth.
1: And I feel like Dixon probably would not be willing to write a story with a protagonist that espouses beliefs against his politics now. I think at this point, he maybe was more of a working writer or was less hardened in his views and so wrote stories that portrayed Lockup as a villain. It is curious to read Dixon's stuff in retrospect because, I mean, granted, again, I was reading this when I was 15, so I was not looking for deep political meaning in these stories but it's not as easy to tell Dixon's politics as it is Alan Grant with all of his much more liberal-leaning politics in Shadow of the Bat.
0: Just the way that Lockup so readily just spouts the usual kind of talking points about how, oh, these dirty criminals just got away. The justice system is, is too lenient. And then you have Gordon... Just kind of ruminating, like, oh yeah, maybe he's got a point.
1: But then Gordon is like, no, you can't, because if you go this way, this way is the slippery slope to fascism. I, Gordon, yes,
0: as Gordon absolutely, uh, you know, has to take that position. Uh, There has to be some core decency in this book. I, I guess Batman doesn't really take a, a hard stance for lockup.
1: I think one of the things there is I think part of Batman's issue is more or less that this guy didn't come and kiss the ring before he started operating in Gotham.
0: Yeah, that too.
1: But I I guess it's the
0: dialogue and just how common you hear these idiotic complaints and, and look, look, here's, here's the deal. People, these justice system technicalities are your fundamental constitutional rights. Like I just, these complaints are so tired and, and look, I am not as far left as some people are when it comes to the justice system, right? I am not passionate about bail reform, although I do get the principles behind it. But just to see these criticisms just repeated through this ding dong, they still strike me as, as irritating and just dirr.
1: This, in case we couldn't tell from the story, by the way, is Lockup's first appearance in the comics. He, like Harley Quinn and Roxy Rocket, were created for Batman the Animated Series. He made his first appearance in one episode of Batman the Animated Series, created by Deanie. But there, his MO was a little different. His origin is still basically the same, in that he's a guy who got fired in the show from Arkham as one of their security chiefs for roughing up the inmates. But there, as opposed to going after criminals who escaped, he goes after the quote-unquote lily-livered liberals who let the system be that way. He winds up taking Hamilton Hill and Jim Gordon and Bruce Wayne and locking them up.
0: I don't know if that makes more sense or less, but it's certainly different than what we have here.
1: Yes. I think they're both interesting ideas for stories, but I don't know either which one works better or worse. This isn't a bad story, but it's not paced terribly well.
0: No, and matches inclusion is confusing to me. The narrative is going one way, and we have Tim going on this kind of undercover operation, and then, oh, Matches shows up. And I was like, what What is Matches doing here? I don't know what's happening. I'm scared and alone, and I'm confused.
1: Tim's undercover alter ego is his Matches Malone. Alvin Draper is a character he uses repeatedly over the course of Tim's Robin series. And all of the stuff with Tim is a follow-up to events in the Robin ongoing. The kid that Tim is tracking down as a possible lock-up abductee was a, a kid who shot another kid in a school shooting in Robin number 25. That is right out of the Robin ongoing.
0: Yeah, there's some reference to, oh, you'll know this guy. And I gather that there were
1: some other events happening. That was all stuff in Robin's ongoing. The more stuff we're going to read in the 90s, the more that we're going to see that this era is the most heavily serialized. The Batman titles were at any point where the story literally wasn't going Batman into Detective into Batman into Detective month in and month out. There are lots of little plot lines and little side quests and characters popping up who were peppered throughout all of the books. The last issue of this also has various pages that are setting up the next event, which starts the next month.
0: Uh, the contagion.
1: The contagion is two different events. There's contagion mm. and then there's legacy. This is leading into legacy because contagion The Ebola Gulf A, the clench, gets into Gotham. Batman finds a cure. Then here we see, oh, crap, the cure isn't fully effective. And a short time later, it comes back and it's worse. And so in Legacy, they're going to find the final cure. Because Tim has it. Tim catches the clench during Contagion. So it's a real race against time to find the cure before Tim drops dead. And that's also where we get the the return of Bane after Nightfall, because he appears in one one shot. And then the next time you see him is in Legacy working with Raish. So it was a big deal at the time.
0: But answer me this. What is matches doing in this story?
1: I mean, there were three possible suspects that Lockup could go after. Bruce goes undercover into one of their crews as matches. Okay. If you say so, I and believe it, you. As is often the case, starting at this point and up through the next story we cover, the matches Malone identity is getting less and less useful because there's only so many times Batman can attack a crew that matches is working with before people start thinking, huh? This guy might be selling us out to Batman. It's Vanya Triplett, the mobster that Matches goes to see, Jay Huffman, the creepy looking child murderer that Dick is surveying, and Young L, who Tim is going undercover with Alvin as Alvin Draper. Okay,
0: I get it now, but this is very much just Matches is included. He is certainly not the focus here.
1: No. My problem with the pacing of this story is that the moment that we should be waiting for, we never see. We never see Batman actually fight Lockup. Nope. That at the very end, Lockup is flooding his base to drown all of the convicts that he has. You see Batman sort of tap him on the shoulder. You cut into the flooding cells where Tim and Nightwing are fighting against all of the other criminals that have gotten out. And then the door just opens and Batman is there.
0: Lockup certainly has a weird code of ethics and Gordon comments on it. And it's like, well, he's a psychopath, but psychopaths follow rules. And then I'm like, okay, I can buy that. And then, um, yeah, we see him as he's, as he escapes, he's coming back to feed the prisoners. Uh, and then he just decides to drown them.
1: That's the, the beat that is bizarre, because he's so much about keeping them alive throughout. It's like, oh, so Nightwing is here. So now I'm just going to drown them. Yep. Oh, I guess
0: this fun's over.
1: I suppose it could be a case of him deciding he would rather they drown than get back out onto the streets. But you'd think he would just recapture them.
0: And what was his play all along? Was he going to hold them indefinitely? Was he going to be a jailer forever?
1: I think so. But again, as Gordon points out, he's not a logical actor.
0: No, no.
1: Tell me more about this Brundlefly character. Oh, Caraxes. That is Killer Moth. Remember Underworld Unleashed? No. Well, Neron, the devil who offered supervillains more powers for their immortal souls. Vaguely. Yeah, Killer Moth is a schmuck and wanted power, so he sold his soul to Neron, and Neron's like, well, you're a schmuck, I'm gonna turn you into a giant moth monster. (laughs) Did not get the best end of that deal.
0: No, and uh, he is literally a gross moth monster.
1: Oh, yeah. Of the the villains that he has locked up, you got Two-Face. And then Caraxis slash Killer Moth is probably the next. And then it's a whole bunch of nobodies and Allergent, who appeared in one story where he was trying to destroy as many plants as he could because he has severe allergies and runs afoul of poison ivy. Uh,
0: his name is literally Allergent.
1: Allergent, yes. Oh, boy. Again, one appearance. One story before this. And as I recall, he is never heard from again because he's a terrible, obnoxious, annoying character.
0: Editorial really wouldn't let Dixon play with
1: the good toys, would they? Dixon does get to play with the good toys. It's just Dixon liked to come up with his own villains and they usually were kind of (laughs) lame. And I think they let him get away with it because he... Created Bane, but there's Allergent and there's Gearhead, who's a cyborg who is wires himself into his car.
0: Oh, that's bad.
1: Yeah, and I can't remember if he's a completely new character or a modern age version, but a, a pirate character named Captain Fear. No. Yeah, his villains in general after Bane didn't work, but he wrote some good Penguin stories, some good Joker stories, some good Riddler stories, some really good Two-Face stuff in uh, Robin and Nightwing. This is not a particularly good appearance for Two-Face. No, Harvey is just sort of there. Yeah, he could literally be anyone else. And with the stuff he had been doing with Dixon, had been doing with Two-Face with Robin and Nightwing. I was reading this and thinking, oh, we're going to get to the end and he's going to have to deal with them. And that's why it's Two-Face and not one of the other villains. But no, and it's not particularly called out his Mad-on for for Nightwing or Nightwing's issues with Two-Face. I am not 100% sure why you'd use Harvey in that story. Odd, odd choice. Lockup would be a really interesting villain to bring back in 2023. Set him after the cops, something like that. I can count the number of Lockup stories. He appears pretty heavily in No Man's Land as the story progresses. Bruce makes a devil's bargain with him, basically giving him Blackgate, but of course things go wrong and. Batman has to send Nightwing in to shut it down because Lockup is not keeping with the deal of decent treatment of these people. Shock of shocks. Mm, It is. This is pretty much what you get from a lot of 90s Dixon detectives. A perfectly serviceable superhero story that is not terribly memorable an hour after you've read it. It goes down smooth. It's as inoffensive as someone like Chuck Dixon can make a story. But Dixon's stuff, some of it is very memorable. There are some great stories, but a lot of it is just sort of there. He wrote the book for nearly a decade. So there you go. Only so many good ideas he have. I don't think there's, there's much more to say on this. Well, that means it's time for Detective Comics Lock-Up on the big board. We are at 309 stories on the big board. Number one is the post-crisis origin of Batman, Batman Year One. Number 50 is A Savage Innocence, the story where the Joker gets the power of the specter. Yeah.
0: Coming in at a sexy 69, it's Batman Legend of the Dark Knight, 16 to 20, Venom.
1: At 100 is Shadow of the Phantasm, the Batman and Robin annual with the Phantasm. At 150 is Gates of Gotham. At 200 is Batman Bethlehem, the Batman 666. At 250 is A Clash of Symbols. Detective 617, and hey, down at the bottom is Curse of the White Knight.
0: Boo!
1: Very little has shifted last week. Uh, This this week, we're going to see at least a little movement higher up the list. Thank God. Uh, But this... First up, do we think this cracks the top 200?
0: That's a very good question. The bottom of the top 200 is stuff like... Would you believe it? Blades at one Uh Let's go, Blades. Nope. Uh, Batman Europa one ninety-two. Uh, Arkham Asylum, Living Hell one ninety-five. Riddler in the dark. That perfectly average Charles Soul random story uh, so from Legends a, of the Dark Knight.
1: That feels like about where this goes because this is a perfectly average, not terribly memorable story.
0: I would put it above more of Paul Dini's shit at 2.02, uh, Detective Comics,
1: 8.24. I would put it above that. I would probably put it above Overdrive at 2.01. I think that that's where I'm feeling like it goes. I'm feeling like 2.01. Because yeah. I like 6.66. I like Batman in Bethlehem. And I think, yeah, I think Lockup goes at 2.01. Perfect. Our next story is "Closed Before Striking. This is Batman Volume 1, numbers 588 to 590. The writer is Brian K. Vaughn, with pencils by Scott McDaniel, inks by Carl Story, colors by Roberta Tweese, letters by John Costanza, and edited by Bob Trek and Michael Wright. The cover dates are April to June of 2001. The match's Malone identity is starting to wear thin. He's gotten a reputation in Gotham's underworld as a snitch. So what happens when the real Matches Malone returns to the city, hellbent on getting his rep straightened out? Did you happen to read this in the trade, or did you get single issues on this? I got single issues. Why might you ask that? The trade that this is included in is a collection of brian vaughn's batman stories there are not a ton ah. there's there's this there's a one-off from detective a story from a secret files and kind of padded out a two-issue wonder woman story where she fights clayface vaughn does an introduction to the book and the genesis of this story is very interesting Ooh, do tell this was a tryout to take over batman
0: oh that makes me
1: sad the thing is he was going up against ed brubaker Hmm. so we got brubaker on batman and vaughn went on to write this story he'd been thinking of about a guy and his monkey so we got why the last man because vaughn wasn't on batman what i sit back and think about is the, the world where vaughn was on batman and Criminal came out through Vertigo. Oh. Sliding doors. It's yep. It's fascinating to think about what could have been. And it's a shame because I think Vaughn would have written a good run on Batman. I think it would have been great.
0: This is some good-ass comics. This is not zany, silly characters like Lockup. It's not world-ending stakes for Gotham. You know, it's just... Scumbags dying and one guy trying to do the right thing in, you know, a silly costume.
1: He gets the relationship between Batman and Nightwing and Nightwing and Oracle really, really well. It's a shame that this is right after Officer Down, so he doesn't have Alfred or Gordon or Tim on the board. So it's nice that he brought in Nightwing and editorial let him do a night a Nightwing beat in here. But I would have loved to have seen what he would do with Alfred.
0: Uh, why is Alfred again not in the book at this period?
1: Because Bruce acted like a petulant little baby during Officer Down. And Alfred kind of was like, all right, you need to get your shit together. You need to stand on your own two feet and... Tim is currently off at a boarding school after No Man's Land because his father doesn't know he's Robin. So his father's like, you ran away and went into Gotham? Yeah, we're sending you to an upscale boarding school. So Alfred goes to help Tim and is also like, Bruce, you need to to get your shit together. And I think I've enabled you for too long So you need to stand on your own two feet for a while, which is what we saw in Officer Down.
0: Amazing how that story could be so crummy and yet so important.
1: Again, if you removed the middle with all of the chasing Catwoman and had spent more of that time dealing with the mystery and the procedural and things like that, it would have been a better story.
0: But yeah, I... I really love this, right? I thought kind of the, the reimagining of matches and his relationship to Batman, I thought was was gripping. I thought Vaughn just told a really good story. I went back and forth thinking, okay, maybe this goes too far into sort of Bruce's insanity, but then it got right up to that line and then walked it a little bit back. So I think ultimately I was I was okay with, to the extent at which that angle was pushed. This is just a a really enjoyable story.
1: And that was something they were playing with at this period in the Bat books. Because we're in that period in between Officer Down and Bruce Wayne, Murderer Fugitive, where even the Bat family, when Vesper Fairchild is murdered, they're like, we know you didn't do it, but you've been acting really off for a while now. So this fits really well with where they were going. For a story that's essentially a fill-in, it works really well in the world. I like the way Vaughn treats the Ventriloquist and Scarface and does the parallel there in between Bruce dissociating into matches and the real hardcore dissociation that the Ventriloquist has with Scarface.
0: And finally, somebody explained the uh, the G's and B's thing. Yeah. And, and Matt just slipped into it, too. That was <laughs> so good.
1: Uh, what do you mean, the the gullets? There's one moment when Batman is tracking the ventriloquist, and the ventriloquist has slipped into a, a freight car of a train. And Batman's looking for him, and it's dark. And the ventriloquist starts throwing his voice all around the car. Yep. That's great. That is absolutely something that would be a logical thing the ventriloquist could do. And how is this character at this point been in existence for 15 years? And no one has thought if he needs to make a getaway, maybe he's throwing his voice.
0: The one story beat that I thought was strange, aside from, again, Bruce Wayne's Dance with Insanity, is the idea that... And this brought back some warm 90s memories of, like, the the panic of armor-piercing bullets and cop-killer bullets. If you're going to introduce those into a Batman story, seems like Batman ought to get shot with one.
1: Yeah, I think Vaughn wanted something that would feel like a dire enough threat to get Batman really into the story but then had too many other things to do in three issues to really focus on that. Mm -hmm. I will say there are a couple of beats in here that are very late nineties, early two thousands moments, not even full beats, but just moments that are like, yeah, that would not fly now. One of the guys at the beginning when Batman enters the bar, or a Batman enters the bar to Dick Bat. Yep, we got some some dick bat in there. But this one guy's like the other thugs in the bar aren't going after Batman. There's this is one guy who's clearly never encountered Batman before, and he A first calls the other guys pansies and then addresses Batman as quote, a fruit in a cape, unquote. That is not language you would use today.
0: Hmm no 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 that scene though is missing from some of your modern day bat stories where i think it is more interesting when batman is more of a myth rather than now gotham has batman themed restaurants
1: i think there's a line that should be tread with how much the public knows batman I think the full Batman is an urban legend thing that they tried throughout much of the 90s and the early aughts. If you're going to do it, you have to be careful about the universe because they were doing this after Batman had been a member of the Justice League International, the UN-sponsored Justice League, where he was in the UN. So it didn't logically work. If you're going to do this, he has to be a silent member of the Justice League. He can't appear out and about. So it it's the problem of the wider universe. If it's just Gotham, then you can do the urban legend. But existing in the DC universe, it's trickier. I think you can have Batman as a known quantity as, oh yeah, there is a Batman, but if he's with the Justice League, he just stands there in the back and doesn't answer questions he exists in gotham as oh yeah people know there's a batman but they don't know who he is and he can still interact with you know the good citizens of gotham and you know help someone out because i want my batman to help the innocent as much as mm. punish the guilty but he's not Duly deputized officer of the law, Batman, either. It is a line you need to tread very carefully. The other, by the way, kind of problematic moment in this story is when Bruce is flashing back to his different attempts in his early years of creating an underworld alter ego, and one of his attempts involves blackface.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, that was awkward. Joker making an Al
1: Jolson joke. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that panel.
0: But but but, but the panel before that was a year one reference. So
1: it is immediately called out, but it was the story could have lived without that panel, and it wouldn't have hurt the story. No. We didn't need that joke. No. A fun creator name Easter Egg. One that works. The first identity Bruce tries, Irving O'Neill, Irv Novik, Denny O'Neill, creators of Matches Malone.
0: Oh, that, that is good.
1: And again, that's the kind of creator reference we like on this show. It's subtle, it's quick, and it's done. It's not dragged out for pages and pages and pages. A nice little cameo from D.A. era Harvey Dent. And I liked the character of Matches Malone here. The original Matches Malone who comes back to Gotham. He's an interesting character and a character that we don't spend a ton of time with, but you get enough of who he is in the flashbacks and things to make you kind of care when he's dying in Batman's arms. And just
0: that he requested to be buried next to his brother... That's a respect for goons and lower levels of people we don't often see in these stories. I think a lot of stories would just have had him die and that would have been it. Uh, But we see Batman go to bury him
1: again. And again, Batman should do that. Even if you have screwed up, Batman is always willing to give you a shot. And I think that's the way he should be written, unless you're the Joker then he should not give you a shot because no good of that will come. He won't kill you and he probably won't let you die
0: if you're the Joker.
1: Yeah, but but that's about as far as he's willing to go. I could understand people if they saw that Batman sort of fell for matches. Oh, I'm just going to put another body in here and use it to fake a suicide. But I'm okay with that. This is a year one era Batman. I think this is a Batman who is absolutely fallible and able to screw up.
0: And he readily recognizes how he screwed up, right? There's no investigation of, well, was that matches or is that matches now? No, he's like, oh yeah, that was not him that I buried.
1: I will say the fact that the Ventriloquist and Scarface are hiding out in the Monarch theater Yes. That's a contrivance. Yeah. How many abandoned buildings are there? Especially because we're not that far from No Man's Land. There are got to be plenty of abandoned movie theaters that Scarface could have been in.
0: But then also for Batman to say, I was associating so hard,
1: I didn't recognize it was the monarch. That's... mm. Yeah. Again, though, another good moment in there... Batman's fighting Ventriloquist and Scarface. And what does he do? He hits Ventriloquist with ink in the eyes to stop him from seeing. He's like, okay, that makes sense. You're not aiming for Scarface. It always drives me crazy when it's not just various heroes. They're fighting Ventriloquist and Scarface and they're fighting Scarface. It's like, no, he's a dummy. Although when we get to our Ventriloquist and Scarface episode, which I have planned, yeah, there is something about that dummy that is is not quite right. Oh, oh yeah. Hmm. yeah., uh, I'll give you the a little bit of a spoiler because it's the you find it out in the first couple of pages of the story. Yeah, he's carved from gallows wood literally.
0: <laughs> he would be cursed.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's the the gallows at Blackgate provided the wood that would make scarface.
0: I like that. It's a nice touch.
1: It is. Fun little uh, Alan Grant two-parter in Showcase 93 or 94 that finally reveals the origin of the Ventriloquist. And yeah, it's a whole thing. We'll get to that. I've got that for a Scarface episode at some point.
0: I think I'm okay with Batman ultimately setting fire to Scarface. Just as closing that loop of, I told matches I would kill whoever killed him. And it's the sort of villain torment that Batman always kind of gently brushes up against. Like, you know, let's say giving Harvey a thousand different coins or or something like that. It's intentional. Like Batman knows what he's doing. But I think also he's like, well, they did deserve it.
1: When we get to the very end here, I like that we both redeem the match's Malone identity. Because now he's been involved in taking out Scarface. So he now has more street cred. And then at the end, when Dick's like, well, if you keep using this identity, couldn't this happen again? And Bruce is like, it might. But I now know I've seen it. But also I know that if I walk that path, I know you'll be there to help me find my way. And that A calls back to a conversation Dick and Barbara had earlier about why with all of the identities they've had, neither of them have ever dissociated. But also, I like a story that acknowledges for all of the talk that a lot of writers have of Batman working alone. Batman worked alone for what? Eight issues? Detective 27 to 37. Oh, 10 issues, excuse me. Before in Detective 38, we got Robin. Batman has not ever really been that much of a lone wolf. And I think it's important for every now and then Bruce to recognize how important the family is to him. Mm -hmm. And yes, as I said, we're in a period where Bruce is not in a good way emotionally, but it's nice that he recognizes that in that moment. Because we
0: are similarly in a period in which Bruce Wayne is not in a good way emotionally,
1: when is he ever okay? Okay. You get about two or three months of that after he goes through one of these cycles. Usually you get a little bit of time where he and the family are working together and everyone, everything's great. And then something happens that causes him to get all broody again. We get out of no man's land and he had to call the whole family in and he had to apologize and they all had to work together and he's working with Robin and he's working with Nightwing and there's Cassandra has joined the bat family and things are great. And then officer down happens. And then he gets worse and worse. And Bruce Wayne murderer fugitive happens. And in the end he has to work with the family to catch the man who framed him and things are good. And then hush happens. (laughs) And Things keep going downhill until infinite crisis happens. And then he spends the year on walkabout with Tim and Nightwing and they're relearning their skills and they're having some father son bonding time and things are going great. And then he dies. You know, we go through the Morrison era and then he comes back and then we get the new 52. Ta-da! Yeah. But it's a cycle, and it never lasts for more than maybe tops a year of him being relatively well-adjusted and getting along with the other members of the family before things go really wrong again. I feel like they're going about as wrong as they can. If if you don't know what we're
0: talking about, Gotham War, uh, the ongoing currently. It's, It's
1: some dark shit. And without diverting too much into current continuity, at this point, I'm not sure how to fix this because it turning out to be Zurenar influencing him or my theory that the cybernetic hand is doing something, both of those feel like a cop-out. But he is beating up unarmed criminals and smacking around the family. And I don't know how you make that right.
0: It was all a dream, Matt.
1: <laughs> yeah, or this isn't the right Earth. Or he isn't the right Batman for this Earth. But that's smacks of secret empire. That's not the right Captain America. We'll, we'll just call the right Captain America out of the mists of history. So it's not Nazi Cap.
0: Sliders this thing.
1: And listen, it's not that he's the only one out of character. Selina is way too naive in this whole thing. I can can build a better Gotham. I can do it. I can believe she would believe that. But the part of me that the naivete that bothers me is not taking into consideration that Scarecrow and Two-Face and Ventriloquist and Black Mask and insert the name of every other rogue are going to be pissed that you took away their lackeys. And eventually they'll be like, okay, I don't need lackeys when I can team up with every other psycho and we can all just come at you at once.
0: We'll have to read it eventually yeah, well, again.
1: I mean, it's it's only eight parts, so we're we're two in. So it's not like there's that much left, which is the other problem that if they had allowed this to be a you know a year-long sort of slow building thing. I think I'd have less of a problem, but boy, howdy, we're tangenting here. Yes. So I think unless you have anything else, uh, I don't have anything else. That means it's time.
0: But Batman, close before striking
1: on the big board. Do we crack the top one hundred here?
0: Yes. I I enjoyed this very much, and I think it is a compelling examination of Matches Malone, a character that is, I I wouldn't say central to Batman, but he is sprinkled throughout Batman's history, and it's probably the best Matches story we're going to read. I don't think it quite makes the top 50. No, no, I I think that's fair, and I was looking right at around 75 somewhere around in there mystery casebook is at 65 i might put this above that possibly
1: mystery casebook speaks to something in both of us very specifically Mm -hmm. that is a book that if someone else was doing a list of batman stories i could completely understand and respect them putting it lower but because this is best with the important asterisk of, in our opinion, it belongs where it belongs, because that's how we feel about it. And as
0: as I have stated, Venom has been at 69 for quite a few weeks now. And it is a very important story, but one that doesn't really hold up. It has
1: a really soft middle. Good beginning, good ending, could have been one or two issues shorter.
0: Absolutely.
1: Or spent uh, more time in the middle really exploring Bruce and not on Santa Prisco with super soldiers.
0: That Doctor and Venom comes back, doesn't he? Didn't we read that?
1: Yes. I can't remember if it was for the pod or the column, but we've definitely seen him return.
0: It's weird. He's a weird dude.
1: Yeah. I'm trying trying to find a ceiling here. Because if we're looking around Mystery Casebook, I think Mystery Casebook might be the ceiling. The question is, is better or worse there? And then if we decide under Mystery Casebook, how much under? Not much. If this had had an ending where Bruce storms off from Nightwing and they don't have that moment where he acknowledges Nightwing's help, this would lose 10, 15 spots for me.
0: And if it didn't sort of acknowledge and respect the humanity of matches, I think it would lose several spots. But then I think it probably loses
1: a couple of spots for those problematic elements too. Right. I'm thinking somewhere between 65 and 69. It's, It's better than Venom. If it's better than Mystery Casebook, it's just better than Mystery Casebook. Because Prometheus is Grant Morrison at their superhero writing best. That is just perfect, wild superhero comics. And also has a scene where Batman acknowledges that he can screw up. because Prometheus beats him up. Well, that was humbling. How about the new 69? Okay, sounds good. A very respectable showing. Our final story of the night is Playing with Matches. This is Batman Adventures, Volume 2, Numbers 5 to 8. The writers are Ty Templeton and Dan Slott, with pencils by Rick Burchett, inks by Terry Beatty, colors by Lee Loffridge, lettered by Phil Felix, Nick Jaden Napolitano, and Jared K. Fletcher. The editors are Joan Hilty and Harvey Richards the cover dates are october of 2003 to january of 2004 black mask is rising in power in the gotham mobs to learn about his false face society batman goes undercover as matches malone oh batman adventures volume two what might have been this was not our first batman adventures uh, volume two correct No, the other one we have is the final issue, issue 17, the Joe Chill issue.
0: Ah, okay. Um, I need to take better notes because I got Batman Adventures 15 badge of honor, but I guess that's the first volume. That's volume one. Yeah, this is, I'm not going to say more interesting, take it, you know, Batman Adventures, but this does seem
1: slightly more serious, darker. Batman Adventures volume two comes out After the animated series has ended. So, this is coming out contemporaneously with Justice League. There's actually a reference to it in here when Deadshot says something to Batman about how the last time we ran into each other, it took a whole team of superheroes to stop me. That was a Justice League arc. But so, what this allows the writers of this volume to do is to completely not worry about continuity because as long as what they're doing doesn't violate what's going to happen in Batman Beyond, they can go to town. So it allows for longer arcs and more mature storytelling. One thing I will point out, the cliffhanger here is never paid off. The series is canceled before they can pay that off.
0: Oh, no.
1: Dan Slott, years later, revealed the identity of the Red Hood. And it is not Joker. Jason Todd? No. It is Andrea Beaumont's mother, who was the sister of Sal Valestra. She was an heiress to the Valestra crime family. Who wanted out? She marries Andrea's father. They think they're out. Father makes the bad business deals, gets in bed with his brother in law, and then they all flee. And now she's coming back to Gotham using the fact that she's of Alestra to claim the seat at the head of the mobs. And that's why the phantasm is involved. Whether she knew it or not is iffy at this point in the story, but her involvement has to do with the fact that the red hood is her mother
0: that would have been very
1: interesting it would have also eventually tied the powers family in so you would have had lead in to batman beyond by seeing a child Derek powers there was a whole plan to tie all of these things from all the different aspects of the animated batman universe together and because the series was over, the book wasn't selling, and so they just canceled it before all of that stuff could be paid off. And yeah. it's a real shame, because there were some really cool ideas in there. And also, from this, we could see the setup of a character in the DCAU that they couldn't use on the cartoons because of rights issues. You do know who Elo O'Brien is, right? No, I do not. Plastic Man. That's why he looked like Plastic Man. Yep, Eel O'Brien is Plastic Man, but they couldn't use Plastic Man on the JLU because of rights issues. But if you wanted to include him in the universe, I'm 99% sure. I know they use use Elongated Man, and I am 99% sure that Plastic Man never appears because of rights issues. Right, he's referenced at one point but he never actually appears, and I'm pretty sure it's because of rights issues, but those aren't a concern in the comics, so you're able to do the origin of Plastic Man, whose whole origin is he was a cheap mobster who wounds up getting doused in chemicals and turning into Plastic Man. Huh. I felt like they were setting up Plastic Man eventually showing up in the series at some point, too. I really liked this story. It's not so much one continuous
0: arc as it is just multiple stories that fit together. And I thought that that was an interesting approach. It feels
1: Strange New worldsy. Yeah. Yeah. All one-offs with these continuing background plots that tie it together, but you could pick up any one of these issues and get a satisfying story out of it. And I like that each issue is a main story with a four to six page backup that fleshes out some aspect of the story. It's a nice format for a book like this.
0: Oh, the last one. Bruce talking about the matches mustache and how he can't look himself in the mirror because it's his dad's mustache.
1: Oh, oh, my heart. When we talked about a Matches Malone episode, I knew we had to do this story because that bit has stuck with me since I read this. I, I remembered the rest of it kind of vaguely. It's like, oh yeah, it's, I know this ends with the Red Hood and there's Black Mask stuff. I really not remember the Phantasm being a part of this. And when I was doing the research after we read it, I was like, did they ever reveal anywhere who the Red Hood was supposed to be? It was like, Oh, uh, oh, oh! But that that last backup is the thing that has stuck with me because it's a oh, it's so good. And the the final moment of it, where you know he says about the mustache, and I can't look at it because I'm still not ready to face that. It's like, oh, oh, yeah. It gets you. It gets you good. And here we're getting the first real appearances of black mask in the dc animated universe this is the again i don't remember if they ever even get to pay off the penguin as corrupt mayor of gotham bit that they set up in these first eight issues after the first eight if memory serves and it's been a while it's all pretty much one-offs after that i think slot does one more issue somewhere in the middle But it's mostly just stories like that last one we read, where it's a nice little self-contained animated Batman story, but it doesn't forward the arc that they were building up to this point. Well, that's a shame. It really is. Because, again, Penguin as mayor of Gotham, as many times as we're teased with it in other different iterations, this is the time where he really gets to be mayor. And you see him, he puts in an anti-Bat, Policy And I love Bullock as the PI because Penguin kicked him off the force for embarrassing the Penguin. That's another great little backup. Not as emotionally resonant, but certainly fun.
0: Newspaper headline, Penguin Saved by Batman.
1: Yes. That first story, the most mature beats in here are definitely that last moment with the, from that that backup. But the stuff with Julie Madison is dark for the oh. animated series. Oh, yeah, to find out that Julie Madison was just a gold digger. Yikes. Yep, and a gold digger who had been with the penguin before him. And then I that's land a billionaire. Aren't I allowed that happiness? This one, I will say, this does just looking at my notes quickly. I believe it's in the next issue. Does lose points for uh Lucius Fox being white in one? panel? Yeah. that strikes me as a coloring error versus someone you know miscoloring and lightening the skin of a character because they default to characters being white. That just struck me as a complete mistake. But still not good. But that is a sequence I really like because there again, Bruce calls Lucius and he's like, Lucius, I need you to look at who worked at this place that burned down. And you want me to find them jobs, Mr. Wayne. Again. Yes. And, and good
0: salaries.
1: Good what they're making now or more. Because again, he cares. You've got to get that right. When you don't get that right, all you're doing is writing the Punisher.
0: Oh, and uh, matches having a little love interest of his own. Oh, oh that was so sweet.
1: That was sweet. And then the end, you get to it, and it's oh, again the, the the heart when she she sees him working with Black Mask, and I thought you were one of the good guys, and the the misdirect at the very end. Where you think Bruce is inviting her over to meet Bruce Wayne, but no, he's inviting Leslie over to have a night where she and Alfred can have dinner and giving her the pin that they had teased in the first part of the story that Bruce was going to give to Julie Madison that his mother left him to give to a woman he loved and giving it to Leslie from both him and Alfred and all of them because of how well she takes care of them is again, it's a, a, it's a moment that gets you right, right in the feels. Mm -hmm. And
0: just Alfred, his, his expression after he got to kiss Leslie, that was, that was something
1: priceless. Yes. And I like, I mean, all of black masks, false facers are B list bat rogues digging into that well of random fun Bat characters. Keeping Black Mask's origin close to the comics, but streamlining it, is nice. His whole thing, when he first appeared, and this has long since been forgotten, was his vendetta wasn't against Batman. His vendetta was against Bruce Wayne. And I like that they call that out when you get to his origin at the end. And watching him slowly lose touch with his sense of stability as more and more of his false facers get taken out. And as phantasm is ascendant is a really well done arc for that character. And
0: Bruce makes so many good tactical decisions. Like I, I look Batman doesn't have to win every time, but I want to to see Batman making good choices. Like, right. This is the guy we're supposed to root for. And he beautifully orchestrates the situation for matches to just fall in with perfect favor, right? Uh, you know, oh, oh, it's the, the Black Spider. He must be Batman. I, I saw him shoot the tank. Like, he was trying to save Batgirl. And by the end, it's like, I, I need my matches. I need my matches below. Someone get me matches. It's like, it's just perfect decision making from Batman. That's what, That's what I want to see in a Batman book.
1: And I love how Leslie figures out that matches is Bruce Wayne. Oh, he got shot. They need to bring him somewhere to get patched up. Oh, these scars are very familiar.
0: <laughs> uh, and I think this is the story that had the line. I I know a friend who does this with glasses, with just yes. glasses. Yes. That was good.
1: Yes. Well, it might have been fun to have Nightwing or Robin in here too. I think having it just be Batman and Batgirl kept the story tight. Mm -hmm. You could have had more characters, but you didn't necessarily need them. And so, okay, it's just Bruce and Barbara and them having to work together. And it works really well. And again, you get another one of these backups where it's, the first night that Bruce realizes that Barbara is someone he trusts, and the other backup is the one point where you get some Nightwing and Robin. That bit with Sportsmaster, where Sportsmaster's guys are surrounding him and Bruce is just playing with them. He's gonna start shooting, and one of you is gonna get hit. You, should- I
0: can't promise you're gonna be safe.
1: And in the end. Yep, one of them gets shot by Sportsmaster. But it's just it's him slowly talking these guys into a panic. And he's Batman. He should be able to do that. It's not always about punching a guy. He should basically have
0: as good an understanding of fear and mental manipulation as somebody like Scarecrow.
1: Absolutely. And the the origin we get for matches here is similar enough to the one we got in the previous story, but it it still works within the animated series universe, tying him into Rupert Thorne. And again, there, him using fear. All right. He mentioned this restaurant. I'm going to go there dressed as him. Let's see what happens. It's Hamlet. It's You'll just see the ghost of the man you killed and I'll catch the conscience of the king. But yeah, he just he's smart. This is a Batman who uses his brain as much as his fists throughout this story. And it works. And you get a couple of lighter comedic bits when he uh, <laughs> blows up Firefly's backpack by adding extra accelerant. You'll find him somewhere around Bar Avenue. But also knowing that, oh, he's in a big old fireproof suit. So yeah, you can make that thing go up and he he won't die. And I guess we we mentioned her briefly in here a couple of times, but I like how Phantasm is handled. That is a tricky character to walk the line with. Because you go too far one way and it's just Catwoman in a Grim Reaper costume with how Bruce interacts with her. Mm Mm-hmm. But you, so you have to have him be harder because she is a killer, an unrepentant killer. But he's still, it's his first love. So there is still a degree of him pulling his punches just a little. And I think they get it right here. And there, you feel
0: like there's always that chance that she could be saved. She could do the right thing but she never does. Um, I don't think I have anything else. That means it's time but Batman Adventures playing with matches on the big board.
1: I think this is also up relatively high.
0: Brian Vaughn just wrote the shit out of Close Before Striking, uh, but this is also a very enjoyable story. So this is top 100 and fairly close to 69. But I think I think the previous story is still the best one.
1: Yeah, I think we're probably somewhere in the mid-70s to upper 80s. I, I do think this is
0: better than Little Gotham. Everything is always better than Hush.
1: So Hush is at 83. Will Gotham's at 84, Is it better than the the Joe Chill story from this book? Is it better than that at 79?
0: I think so, because of all of the just interplay between all of these little stories going on and just how everything is so tightly woven. And the Chill story was not bad. No. Um
1: in the top hundred, yeah, I can agree. I I can agree with that. I'm just trying to think how much higher it goes than that. So right above that is the first Joker story. This is has more character to it. I mean, that is a great story, and especially for a Golden Age story, but it is still mostly very surface. It's very this is what is happening. There isn't a ton of emotion to that story. Above that is Resurrection Night, which is. Big and wild. It's much more morose story. New World Orders above that. I love, I love that story for those those great Batman moments in it. I'm gonna say here. Here's my my suggestion on this one. Okay, New seventy five. All right, right above Bloodstorm. Yeah. Well, that was a nice night. That was considerably better than our past couple of weeks. Oh, thank you, matches. Next week, fellow Comics XF staffer Austin Gordon is joining us to talk about three stories of Batman on different superhero teams. We'd like to thank our Patreon backers Dan Grote, Josh Wheel, Mrs. Abigail Hartbaum,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Asimov Fangirl, Tony Thornley, Go Yutes. Sam Hopper, John Wickham, Robert Secundus, Bobby Two Bucks, Tim Rooney, Giorgio Sragioli, David Wheel, Alexander Wheel, and Matt McThorne. McThorney! For their support. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Batchat Comics, and the show is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music slash Audible, and on comicsxf.com, where new episodes drop every Thursday. You can support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash bat chat with Matt and Will, where you can get shout outs, bonus content, pick a story, and even come on the show. If you want to hear more of my ramblings, mostly about the three C's, comics, cinema, and cats, you can follow me on Twitter at MattLaz1013. And I'm El- Will Levin, and I'm also out of here. Good night, Huntsville. And be sure to visit ComicsXF at ComicsXF.com or at ComicsXF on Twitter for our weekly Friday Bat Chat roundup of new Bat Books, for my other show, WMQ&A, where my longtime best friend, Dan Grote, and I interview comics creators, retailers, publishers, journalists, and other related tradespeople, as well as all the other stuff Will and I are writing. And stay safe out there, folks. Gotham is not a place to be after dark.